No Limits Texas, here to give the command to start engines. Please welcome your Grand Marshal, star of Paramount's upcoming film, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, in theaters nationwide on January 15, 2016. It's actor John Krasinski. Hello, Texas. I just want to say in a world full of superhero movies, it's a real honor to be a part of a story telling the story of the real heroes. And uh, without further ado, I just want to say uh, thank you to all the men and women that are serving or have served. And without further ado, I'm going to need some help. So I need some help. Ready, boys? Drivers, stop your engines! All right, the engines are fired. Podcast ready to go. Tyler Head and not Dalton Molinax this week. For those that listen, you might know that Dalton works at the Weather Channel and they are dealing with the hurricane that is coming up the East Coast in Florida right now. So he's very busy. So I got to thank my friend Jeff Hood, who's been on this podcast several times before, for filling in for Dalton as we uh, talk about all the chaos that we had at Texas over the weekend. Hey, Tyler, it is great to be with you, my man. You are an expert in NASCAR. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was interesting what we saw at Texas and that was a lot of storylines that came out of that event in Fort Worth. And, and given what Texas has been the past couple of years, just for the mo- outside of when we were there for, you know, five days in 2020 because of the rain, Texas really hasn't delivered a lot of excitement. So when you go into it, even in the playoffs, you're like, okay, it's going to be a pretty straightforward weekend. One of the playoff drivers is going to win. Maybe one or two will have a problem, and then we move on to the next race. And that's exactly what I was anticipating going into this past weekend. And boy, was I completely wrong, because anything and everything can and did go wrong, it seemed. And uh, coming away from it, we're not even really even talking about the playoffs or the guys in, in the round of 12 right now. There were so many issues on the racetrack on Sunday. Yeah, there was. And I'm with you at, uh, you know, Texas is a great racetrack. I know they did some uh, changes to turn 22 a few years ago, but, you know, they've got the reputation of packing that place full of people. And, and, but it's kind of been down in a down cycle. And, and I'm really hoping that, you know, they can have a big event that can catapult them back into the national spotlight. And I was hoping for the th- same thing last Sunday. It, I will say this, though, it was a very unique race. But again, like you said, not for the reasons I thought. I mean, guys, the thing had a little bit of everything with tires blowing, leaders hitting the wall, the <clears throat> retaliation between drivers. And then we had like a near one hour rain delay. And then we had, um, once again, we keep the streak going of, of drivers that are not eligible for the playoffs. So they're a little bit of an asterisk because it was mm-hmm. Tyler Reddick, but still that I never would have thought we would be talking about that this deep into the playoffs because there's always the talk about you know the the playoff teams really bring their a game when the playoffs arrive and boy it, everything's been turned upside down and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago you know the, the entire conversation during the regular season was can we get to 16 winners can we get to 16 winners and obviously we did right up to the end of the regular season with austin Dillon winning at daytona um but then the you know the the, the conversation shifts to okay well, now we just expect these playoff drivers to run up front and front and win all these races. Nobody told that to the guys that didn't make the playoffs, you know, with the Eric Jones, the Bubba Wallace, uh, Christopher Busher, and now Tyler Reddick, technically not in the playoffs anymore. But those guys have been consistently running up towards the front, and you knew they were still going to be in contention to win these races, even though we're in the playoffs. And I made this prediction just a couple of weeks ago. I think this is the first time since we've gone to this Final Four format that we see a non-Final Four driver win the championship race because that's just how the season has trended yeah it has been bizarre <clears throat> and um and you know as far as this weekend talladega i know you and i talked before we started taping um about we may see winner number 20 and and i'm with you tyler i'm gonna make my pick here shortly and and i think that trend is going to continue Absolutely. It's just, again, kind of goes along with the trend of the season. And uh, I'm team chaos, especially when getting to the playoffs. And I think that just builds on the chaos as we would head into the Roval after that. Um, but getting back to Texas this past weekend, given what we saw in the All-Star race, which, uh, you know, for those that consider Jeff Gluck's Twitter poll to be scientific, it was the lowest rated race in the history of that poll, which goes all the way back to the beginning of 2016, you know, Ryan Blaney outside of his little window net snap snafu pretty much 
had that race in hand. You know, there wasn't a ton of passing. Guys got pretty spread out pretty quickly in the short stages in the all-star race. And that's what we were expecting uh, this past Sunday. And when you look at the racing itself, it was pretty similar. But once we got 35, 40 laps into a run, if it wasn't the leader, it was somebody else farther back in the pack was blowing a tire because these things were just ticking time bombs, it seemed like. And we ended up with a record 16 cautions at Texas on Sunday. Yeah, that is, you know, it gives Goodyear, obviously, a black eye. I think back to Atlanta back in the first race this year, and um, not nearly as many blown tires, but it was odd because we saw some leaders that blew tires. And and there's always concern, you know, when when you have that occur. And and they're still trying to figure this car out. I mean, and, you know, Goodyear's been criticized at, at some of the tracks, mainly the short tracks, that they just can't come up with the right package. Um right to enhance the racing. We really saw that at Martinsville in the spring, that was a dud of a race. Um, they just couldn't pass. And, and I really think at Bristol that they were just carrying so much speed into the corners. It was difficult to pass and, and that there wasn't any fall off, you know, but to go uh, move ahead to Texas. Um, I know I watched the Dell junior down, uh, download and, and he's kind of talked about what can Goodyear do to help the racing. And there's this fine line of balance of, you know, you don't want to make the tires too good because, um, gosh, if you do, you know, will they ever change tires during the race and will there be a fall off? And right. I mean, there's a combination of things, but of course, when you go too far uh, and there's, there's that chaos and we saw it Sunday and, and the, the worst case scenario is when Goodyear has a rash of, bla- of, <clears throat> of blown tires, like we saw and uh, boy, some hard hits, especially Cody Ware, what, what he experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll certainly get to that in a moment. And, and, you know, coming away from Sunday, it seems like everybody's pointing fingers. Goodyear pointing at the teams, teams pointing at Goodyear, you know, teams pointing at NASCAR, Goodyear pointing at NASCAR, everybody pointing at Texas Motor Speedway. But and, and listening to like the Dale Jr. download, you know, Door Bumper Clear, some of the podcasts and media outlets in the days since, I've kind of got this sense, and I agree with this myself that it's a collaborative effort of everybody doing a little something wrong. So Goodyear didn't bring the best tire. Uh, you know, they, they do tell the teams, hey, this is what your minimum air pressure should be. You should not go lower than this. But as we know, in NASCAR, in all motorsports, you give these teams an inch, they're going to take a mile with it. So if they can get that car half an inch lower to get that spoiler out of there, get the diffuser on the ground to make them go faster, they are going to do it whether Goodyear tells them to or not, as far as the air pressures go. So you had teams manipulating the air pressure. And then you just have this weird racetrack at Texas where turns one and two are really, really flat, where you're off the gas and slowing down a lot. But three and four, you are absolutely wide open through there. So it's, you know, again, sympathetic to Goodyear to a degree because it's so hard to create a tire for a track like that with two completely opposite ends because that's where we saw all the tire issues when these guys are putting maximum loads on those right sides going into three and four because they're basically wide open. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Tyler. I mean, it was kind of the worst case scenario for track NASCAR Goodyear and and the and the teams because you know with this new car, as I'm sure you've talked about many times, there's only so much they can do when it comes to the little tricks of the trade. And right. so air pressure is definitely something that is easy to do. It's it's permitted. I mean. There's a recommendation, but, you know, you're playing with fire when you don't stick with that, um, the Goodyear recommended air pressure. Um, And I think that's a little, a a lot of what we saw, you know, last weekend. And there's probably some frustration, you know, these, especially these playoff teams, they're just, you know, they're, they're feeling the heat that they've got to, you know, either win or get stage points in advance to the next round. They've got to, you know, show some speed and, and with the limit of what they can do, you know, on that, on this new car, um, that's kind of an easy one, you know, right. just monkey with the air pressure. And I think that's a lot of what we saw that created the chaos on Sunday. And I thought it was really a great that Rodney Childers tweeted this out on Monday, I believe, but in Rodney Childers, one of the most respected and best crew chiefs in the garage area today, um, you know, was talking about how 
uh, a lot of this boils down to the limiter rule that NASCAR has on the teams where they're only allowed to lower the car a certain amount to, again, mm-hmm. try and get that diffuser as low as they want to, to create that maximum rear downforce where NASCAR says you have to stop right here. Teams are using the air pressure and lowering it to get that extra inch, half an inch, however much it may be to create that downforce, to make themselves go faster. Rodney Childers basically saying if NASCAR got rid of this limiter rule, maybe we wouldn't monkey with the air pressures so much and we wouldn't have these tire problems. And again, this is something that's not going to get fixed overnight, especially this close to the end of the season. It's a collaborative effort between the teams, NASCAR and Goodyear, where they're all going to have to sit down, admit their own faults at first, and then work towards a solution to hopefully make these problems go away in 2023. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we're seeing crew chiefs, we're seeing drivers like going Dell Jr.'s down uh, load. You talked about Rodney Childers doing the tweet. We're seeing drivers and crew chiefs and even some personalities in the sport like Dale Jr. and others that are lobbying kind of, you know, in a subtle manner like NASCAR. You need to take a look at this. You know, you know, I mean, the play is the playing field too level. Right. And but but put some of the give these brilliant in a lot of cases, crew chiefs, give them the ability to show off their smarts and the ingenuity like we've seen in years past. And I like that. I like it when you know, somebody figures something out and they can do it. And it's, I wouldn't say that it's really illegal. It's more that, you know, that proverbial gray area. Right. Um, I love it when they say, hey, you know, they're in the gray area. And, but now they're just kind of restricted. There's just so much on that new car they can't touch. And, and that's, you know, when you look at the problems that we've had throughout the entire season, specifically just in these four playoff races alone, when you go back to like Kevin Harvick's tire or uh, car catching on fire at Darlington, the tire issues that we had at Texas, so on and so forth. The most frustrating thing that a lot of these drivers and teams have talked about is they know what needs to be done. And if they were allowed to get their hands on it, they could fix these solutions really, really easily within a week's time. But again, when you have single source manufacturers and you have this company making up control arms, this one making axles, so on and so forth, there's so much red tape you have to go through that it's not going to get fixed overnight. This is something that's going to have to get fixed in the off season, which hopefully the ball's already starting to roll on that because that's not just going to happen overnight either because you got to get things made. You got to get the stuff out of the teams. They have to pay for it. Like got to assemble these cars before the season starts. There's so much new that we're all still trying to figure out especially when it comes to these issues that unfortunately we're just going to have to weather the storm a little bit but i am optimistic uh mainly because nascar this in this past calendar year has kind of reformed the drivers it's not the driver's council anymore kind of a driver's committee with certain guys in the garage area that's headed by jeff burton you know the former mayor of the garage area where they are meeting with nascar on a regular basis talking about these things given their input because i feel like for a couple years there you know right when we went to this 550 horsepower package in 2019 it was a lot of decisions being made from the guys at the top that had never driven a race car before so when you have a bunch of guys in suits sitting around saying this is what makes good racing or i think we should do this i think we should do that and the drivers aren't consulted that's where we're running into problems so i at least am glad the drivers and teams have a seat at the table again to again work through these issues in time and uh hopefully this time next year we're not dealing with these things yeah and it's interesting tyler because i I do think there's going to be a lot of um dialogue during the off season um, between all the parties, the, the NASCAR executives, the rules makers and the team owners and the drivers. And I think even the crew chiefs have a seat at this table. And, and, you know, it's not only, and you make a great point about the single source provider for these parts, a lot of them on this car, but it's even things like, you know, that COVID brought us like, um, show up and race, or, you know, you only have to be there two days and we're not going to practice or, and, and I've heard, I think Denny Hamlin's made comments about, you know, we kind of need to go back to kind of where we were before. Let, let's get some practice going. And, you know, um, and, and I get it. There, again, is a balance because, you know, the uh, part of it is, you know, saving the team's money. And, you know, you might make the argument you get back to we could have the 20th winner this year. And on one hand, that's good because if you've got a team that can attract sponsorship and say, hey, we want a cup race, right. that's huge when you're trying to solicit um you know, some dollars for your team. So, you know, there's a lot of things to consider, but, but really though, I think um, they're going to have to really move the needle on this NASCAR and they're going to have to make some concessions in some areas. I love that you brought up the the saving teams money thing, which is again, what this next gen car was all about. You're somebody that obviously has worked in the NASCAR industry for a long time. 
you don't save money in racing. You spend money in racing. And for these top teams, yep. Yeah, maybe BJ McLeod saving a little bit of money compared to what he was spending last year. But Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas Racing, all these teams are throwing as much money as they can as they can at this car at whatever they can to gain an advantage. You're not going to save those teams money because, quite frankly, they're not interested in saving money. They're out there to win the race, and they're going to do whatever they can and spend wherever they have to to get that done. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's um... – there's no way a Roger Penske who's got deep pockets for Joe Gibbs or Rick Kendrick. They're not going around telling their guys to pinch pennies. And, right. and yet they're, you know, there's on, on the surface yet. There's only so much they can do, but you know, they've got these engineers that are looking and, you know, like there's something we're missing, like in the rule book that says, you know, what, what can we do something innovative? Cause these guys are innovative and right. um, I mean, they'll figure it out, but yeah. Um, absolutely you know there's things that we don't even see or hear about that's happening uh, behind the scenes maybe back at the race shop primarily mm -hmm. but it is costing a lot of money and um believe me these these especially these wealthy team owners don't mind writing those checks to cover it right something else going back to the tire issues in this past sunday that i hadn't even thought about because obviously it's been so long since we've used them but these uh, next-gen tires with lower uh, profile and the shorter sidewall, they don't have interliners in them. And for pretty much the entire modern era of NASCAR, when we go to these bigger speedways and super speedways, they've always run an interliner. So even if your tire starts going down, you almost have that little bit of a safety nut to know and to be able to catch it before it takes off in the outside wall. We don't have that anymore. So when Martin Trex Jr., Chase Elliott, you know, these guys are barreling off into turn three and four at Texas at 175, 880 miles an hour. And that thing goes, it's gone. There's no saving. And that's what we saw all these nasty wrecks as a result of on Sunday. Yeah. And I think that's something they're going to have to go back and, and, you know, take a hard look at. Uh, and, and primarily uh, from a safety standpoint, because, you know, there's been some talk about, you know, the hard hits of obviously Kurt Busch and, mm -hmm. You know, it's knocked him out, um, at least for this year. And, um, and guys, just the vicious hits. And, and to your point, not having that inner liner to kind of, you know, the tire's going down, but it's just not – you're not losing control. You can get it slowed down and avoid tagging the wall. And then, you know, they're saying, well, the you know, these cars can take a hard hit and, and you can keep racing. It's like, yeah, but – and I know we have the safer barriers. We have the Hans. We have, you know, the latest, greatest safety technology – Right. But there's only so much it can do to protect these drivers. And, um, and gosh, I mean, I know NASCAR has been preaching safety for the last 20 plus years. So that's a great point. I mean, they're going to have to go back and, and that's something that is going to have to be discussed a lot during this upcoming off season. Right. Well, speaking of hard hits and you obviously brought it up a few minutes ago, the, the Cody Ware hit, uh, I believe that was in the second stage of the race. He's going through three and four middle groove running completely by himself. And I don't know if a tire, if a tire goes, it gets loose or what. But as we've seen so many times with this next-gen car, once it snaps loose, there's really no saving it. And he overcorrected. That thing turned to the right, and he hit that wall in a very, very brutal way. Um, and then the throttle stuck. He ends up coming down pit road, hitting the inside pit wall, nearly hit one of those uh, little openings. That would have been far, far worse. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of, I believe it was Steve Park's crash in Atlanta in 1999 during a yeah. session where he smacked the wall in four, came down, hit the inside pit wall, and that knocked him out. He was out for several weeks, one of the many injuries he dealt with his, in his career. But that was very, very reminiscent uh, with Cody Ware's wreck on Sunday. And, you know, you talk about the safety for the past 20 years. Obviously, ever since Dale Earnhardt died, died the, the initiative for NASCAR has been safety this, safety that. We got the COT, we had the Hans device, so on and so forth. We've become so numb to drivers walking away from these wrecks. Um, you know, we had the Newman situation at Daytona a couple of years ago that ended up, you know, that's kind of an anomaly and everything was fine since then. But, you know, as we're learning more and more about this next gen car and we're seeing these bad wrecks and the drivers complain about it, how hard the hits are and just how much they're feeling it the next day. When I saw Cody Ware take that hit on Sunday, for a second, I'm like, did I just see somebody lose their life in a race car again? Now, fortunately, he got out quickly. He did end up collapsing. and they had to stretch him away. But, like, I hate that that thought had to cross my mind when watching that wreck on Sunday. Yeah, and, and, and Tyler, I agree. There, there are sometimes – you've been following racing. Um, I'm older than you, but in our lifetime, we've, we've followed – we'll just say many, many years. Yes. And you can tell as a, as a, as a veteran observer – 
the hard hits. Yeah. Uh, you can distinguish them between brushing the wall and the Cody Ware incident. He hit a ton. And then, yes, I'm with you. When I saw that, I was it, initially I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope he is able to walk away from this. And, right. and you think that the worst could actually happen. And, and, you know, it's, um, you know, we're going to have occasionally where it, there's just, it's just a fluke, you know, the angle or the impact, but we're seeing too many of those this year. And so uh, is it the no interliner or is it just the way the car is constructed? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a lot of still things to be answered. You know, um, it's interesting because for many years I've been good friends with David Green. He, drove in the nascar uh back then the bush series and won many races and he works for nascar and and i see david at the racetrack i still i go a lot and i'm in the garage talking to people and david's one of my best friends and he is um when when i don't know if you you may know this but maybe the listeners don't um but david his job now with nascar um is whenever there is a crash on the racetrack Um, he's one of the first ones to that car because he is doing everything at the track, reviewing, taking pictures, looking for data impact points. And he is the, the guy in charge of safety at the track to do a complete assessment. Now there's, you can't really share with me what he's finding. You know, we talk a little bit, um, you know, what he can tell me that's pretty obvious, but, um, it's an interesting job that he has, and, and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of input with NASCAR when this season concludes at Phoenix in a few weeks uh, as far as like, hey, guys, this is what I've seen, and this is my opinion. I drove a race car, which is important, right. and um, so it'll be interesting to see how much um, of his input will result in maybe some changes to help these drivers when it comes to safety. And again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago with these single-source manufacturers. You know, in years past, let's say – Drivers were taking hard hits and NASCAR looked at it and said, hey, teams, you're making this part of the car too weak. It needs to be stronger to where the, you know, the energy isn't going towards the driver, so on and so forth. And again, the teams should probably be able to hammer that out in a week or two, and then we're not talking about it anymore. But you know, let's just say that there's a, a sum of five different parts in this next-gen car that are causing this one big issue where these guys are taking these the brunt of these hard hits and it's affecting them more. So now you're going to these five different single-source manufacturers saying, okay, You need to fix your part. You need to fix your part. You need to fix your part. Oh, by the way, the teams are going to have to buy all new parts. Then whatever parts they've already bought are now useless and sitting in a junk pile. Do they get refunds for those? Are they going to be able to swap them out? There's so many hoops that you have to jump through. Again, it's going to take a collaborative effort of everybody and uh, time to get all this fixed. I have no doubt NASCAR is going to get it fixed. But again, it's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month it's going to take a little bit of time. And that's something that unfortunately we're just going to have to get used to with this new car. Yeah. And, and hopefully we at the daytime in February, they're going to loosen the rules around those parts and, um, and let, let the teams get involved. I mean, you know, you can still police it, but but give them a little rope and and let's see these. I I love the ingenuity. Like I mentioned earlier, Um, let's see these guys try to outsmart one another. Yeah. And that's the funny thing about, you know, this car being a spec car, quote unquote, with all these rules uh, that really limit the teams and what they can do, they're still being innovative. They are still finding every inch and every gray area that they can. It's just not as much as it was anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly would like to see them open it up a little bit, just kind of let these teams get their hands back on it. Now, does that mean that Hendrick and Gibbs and Stuart Haas are going to start separating themselves from the field? Absolutely. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always going to be. Um, but again, that's just kind of at the core what NASCAR specifically in the cup series has always been, and I would kind of like to see it get back to that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I, I know that I made a comment earlier about how I, I really like seeing so many different winners, but, but, you know, I think the sport kind of runs in cycles. Let's, I know back in the nineties, I believe we had a lot of winners and, yep. and that was exciting. And then it seemed like the next couple of years we had two or three guys dominate. So, you know, it's that way in golf, you know, you're going to have like a tiger come along or somebody and, and all the new, you know, he's won seven, eight tournaments and, and that's fine. And then you're going to have years when it's just like, gosh, week after week, we have a different winner, right. you know, it's just a cycle of sports. And, and then we're in just, we're in the unique cycle in NASCAR in 2022 of seeing all these multiple winners, which again is okay. But yeah, I think, um, I think we will eventually in 23 or 24, get back to where we have maybe three or four guys that, that win the bulk of the races. 
Speaking of winners, we've been talking for basically 20 minutes and haven't even really mentioned that Tyler Reddick won this race. Um, now, he was in the playoffs, got eliminated last week at Bristol. So, in my opinion, that continues the trend of non-playoff drivers winning since he's no longer eligible for the championship. What a what a topsy-turvy season he's had. Obviously, now he's got three wins, one, two road course races earlier. This whole deal with 23-11, getting the boot at RCR, you know, the fact that I don't think Richard Childress is talking to him anymore. Um, and then he's going out there and winning races and, and you know, performing well on a week-in, week-out basis. It's such a weird dynamic that we don't usually see out of a guy in a, in a contract situation type of year. Yeah, and I'll tell you, uh, I have been around Tyler Reddick for many years. I, uh, I knew him when I was doing John West Townley's PR back in the truck series, and mm-hmm. I've been impressed with that cat from, from day one. I mean, yes. he is, a, a to use a racing term, a wheel man. Yes. I would put him up there kind of in the Kyle Larson category, maybe not quite Kyle, but very close. Um, just so much natural talent. And, and you know, he I talked to him at Darlington, and um, – uh, that was before the announcement on Kyle Busch coming over to to take over next year. But, uh, you know, I mean, to his credit, it was such a weird deal. You've, you've talked about it, you know, that he signs to, to move on in 2023. And then but, you know, I, I still think he's a he's a team player. Maybe our Richard RC's not talking to him that much. But, um, you know, I'll tip my cap to Tyler. I mean, he's getting it done on the racetrack and. And, and I never count that guy out, um, right. never. And, um, and I think he's elevated the RCR program. And, and maybe it's just kind of a, a rocky ending to his tenure at Richard Childress Racing. Mm-hmm. But I think RC is going to look back. You know, he's going to bring in still, one of, I think, one of the greatest drivers in the sport. Got a lot left in him, Kyle Busch. And, and I think he's going to say, you know what? It was uh, – I, I owe a lot to Tyler Reddick because – Richard's program, as we know, has slipped over the years. But yeah. I think Reddick has really forced those guys to overall to step up their game. And it's going to – Kyle Bush is coming into what I think is going to be a pretty good situation in, um, next season. No, absolutely. Ever since Harvick left at the end of the 2013, RCR struggled. You know, they do good to win one race a year usually. And ever since Tyler Reddick started running their full-time in the Cup Series, they've definitely stepped up. Um, I think it's made Austin Dillon better too. Um, now he's not mm-hmm. on the level of Tyler Reddick, but he's he's run pretty solidly this year. Obviously, got his one at Daytona, but yeah, I think Tyler Reddick's performance and what he's brought to that eight team has set the table perfectly for a guy like Kyle Busch to come in and you know possibly win three or four races himself and be a serious championship contender on a team that a couple of years ago you would have never thought that'd be possible. Yeah, and you know I've always been a, a Richard Childress fan. I, I go back. I remember um, when I started following NASCAR in the late seventies and Richard yeah. was still driving Yes, I and mean, that's how far I go back um, going to races and, and seeing him on a white number three um, Chevrolet back then. Um, so, you know, and, and I was a big Dale senior fan. So obviously, you know, Dale had all those, you know, just great years, legendary driver team with, I still think a legendary owner. And so I always pull for him and yeah, it was, you know, when Harvick had his run with him and then, yeah, it was it was disappointing and sad to see him kind of fall into the doldrums. But but I'm delighted. Um, I love this resurgence of Richard Childress Racing. And thank you, Tyler Reddick. And and I'll give Kyle Busch a thanks in advance because he is going to go over there and he's going to drive the wheels off that car next season. Now, I have to ask you this. And, you know, we obviously mean Dalton talked about it when the, when the news was happening a couple weeks ago at the announcement. Reddick is under contract to drive for RCR in 2023. Um, I would be very, very shocked if that happens. What's your stance on this? Do you think Richard Childress is playing games with 2311 to see if they'd buy him out? Or is he going to ship him off to uh, one of these backmarker cars and put it under the RCR banner? Where, how do you see this falling? Um, I think there's some discussions going on, maybe, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, and, uh, but we'll, I mean, we'll just see. I mean, I, I, you know, I think, uh, Richard's reputation, if, if he just sticks Tyler in, in a car, a backmarker car, I think it, it kind of tarnishes RCR. Um, like, come on. I mean, or, you know, just move on. You've got one of the greatest drivers of all time coming over to take that seat. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, if, if you're asking, you know, Toyota or Hamlin or somebody to write you a, you know, a check and be reasonable now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like Tyler's just leaving you and you're empty handed. Um, 
you, you're getting Kyle Bush, who I still think is, you know, in his prime. I mean, despite his age. So I think that's got to be taken into consideration. And, 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 you know, it's going to be a bad look, I think, not only for RCR, but, but NASCAR and really all the, you know, the manufacturers, if, if they don't work something out. So I think, I think, like you said, maybe RC's playing games. We still got several weeks before the end of the season. And we got even more, you know, up until Daytona. Of course, they have to make plans on, you know, where Tyler will be in 2023. But I would imagine, um, you know, somebody the status of Tyler Reddick, they'll get something worked out. Yeah. And, um, and, and I'm thinking he will be um, in a frontline Toyota um, come Daytona in February. That's kind of how I lean too. And I mean, there's six more races to go in the season. He may not be done winning in that eight car, uh, you know, considering how well he runs uh, every single week, even though, you know, he's obviously out of the playoffs now. Yeah. Absolutely. I would not be surprised to see Tyler Reddick win one or two more races this year for, for Childress and, and then see if Richard Childress shows up at the uh, post-race celebration to join his driver. So, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how bizarre. When, uh, when Reddick won the race on Sunday and he was doing his cool-down lap, you did hear RC, you know, key up and say, hey, you know, good job, way to go team. Um, yeah. So he's, he's at least talking to him in that sense, but Right. Uh, you know, outside the racetrack, I'm sure those guys aren't ex- aren't trading too many pleasantries. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of he's begrudgingly congratulating. That's Tyler right. Reddick, but yeah, very, very odd, very odd situation. Right. So uh, despite all the tire problems and other mechanical things going on with the next gen car, we did see some uh, in race entertainment in the form of Denny Hamlin and William Byron having a little bit of a spat on Sunday. Now, this, I think, officially completes Denny Hamlin and the Hendrick Motorsports Infinity Stone because now he's had beef with all the Hendrick Motorsports drivers. And uh, he and William Byron, uh, I don't think they're going to be exchanging any Christmas cards anytime soon after what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the loser in this has to be William Byron. I mean, gosh, uh, the big fine and the loss in points that now is uh, putting him in the danger zone and the playoffs. But, but I will say... Um, the true danger zone is going to be what's going to happen Sunday over in Talladega. Um, Cause gosh, we know the big one and all that and survival just to get to the last few laps. Um, but yeah, as far as um, Byron, he has, um, it's been an interesting um, thing with him and the Hendrick drivers and um, I'm sorry, with the uh, Gibbs drivers yep. and um and so uh, that was just kind of bizarre the way that played out. But, you know, you've got two guys that kind of somewhat have, a, you know, the temper shows and and it did again this week. And but again, I think the big loser has got to be William Byron um, as far as the, the penalty that was assessed by NASCAR. And the way this all went down was really weird. So uh, Hamlin essentially ran Byron high coming off turn number two kind of similar to what he did at Ross Chastain at Pocono. And, you know, Byron gets up in the marbles, gets up into the wall, didn't appreciate that. When the caution comes out a short time later, William Byron, coming off turn number four, runs into Denny Hamlin since was pinning through the grass. Now, the logical explan- the logical move here would have been for NASCAR to say, hey, William, that's not okay. Go to the back of the line. Denny Hamlin can, who was second at that point in time, Denny Hamlin regains his position at the front. And we're not talking about this anymore. But what happened was they sent Hamlin to the back because he did not maintain pace car speed. As we know, we've seen that come up quite a few times and did nothing to William Byron on Sunday. And Scott Miller came out after the race and basically said, we didn't see it. You know, by the time we'd gone back green, you know, we didn't know that William Byron had run into Denny Hamlin. And I'm sorry, there's no way they didn't know that happened. There are too many cameras. It happened right in front of them coming off turn number four, for goodness sake. The NASCAR Twitter account posted William Byron's onboard a couple minutes after it happened. Like, I just, if you're going to lie to me, at least make it believable because I don't believe that for one second that they didn't see that William Byron did this intentionally. Yeah, that, that's a black eye for NASCAR. And that was unbelievable for them, for Scott Miller to say that, because uh, they had to see that. And right. and they just, they didn't react properly. But, you know, the, the thing about William Byron that's interesting, because I, I've been following him, you know, back at the start of his career. He, um, you know, he's always, to me, with the deal with Liberty University and, you know, uh, being a Christian school that I've always viewed William Byron as a guy with just tremendous talent, um, mm-hmm. natural ability to drive a car. 
but he's kind of always, you know, the, the pretty boy choir boy, mm. um, look and, and, and kind of, you know, that's the guy that, um, you know, I, I would least expect to just throw a temper tantrum when somebody right. roughs him up on the racetrack, whether it's intentional or not, but gosh, I mean, this guy has a switch and, and it, when it get when, when you touch hit that switch, it's a part of William or side of William Byron that I never would have imagined. And, and I've seen it in person a few times where he just storms off um, when there's been an altercation, you know, on the track. So that part still intrigues me because I still picture him as this kind of, you know, just kind of choir boy. Maybe that's, that's the word. Um, I would never expect him to blow up and just have this temper tantrum and then retaliate. And I'm really glad you brought that up because it reminds me of, of a little bit of Chase Elliott's first couple of years in the Cup Series when he was running so well and kept coming so close to winning race after race after race, but he couldn't close the deal. You know, whether it was fading late in the race, whether it was not being aggressive enough. And then that situation, conveniently enough, with Denny Hamlin happened in Martinsville in 2017. And that just kind of flipped everything for Chase Elliott. He started winning races. He's obviously won a championship this since then that moment of him finally pushing back and not being run over really changed the trajectory of his career and you look at William Byron who does have a couple wins already but when you look at like the Logano situation at Darlington back in the spring you know yeah he gave some angry post-race comments but never really did anything about it here's a situation where we finally say will he be pushed back he did something about it and I'm interested to see what this means for him going forward if he gets kind of has that confidence and that edge about him that's going to allow him to be more successful going forward. Yeah. And I think um, that's a good point that, you know, the elite drivers um, let's face it, you know, racing is a contact sport or can be. And, um, and, you know, people are watching the comp competition, you know, like, well, how much can I get away with this guy? And if he doesn't stay any, say anything or retaliate, you know what, I'll, I'll do it harder next week if, if the opportunity arises. So, yeah, and, and I, did, I do remember um, what your point about uh, Chase Elliott um, at Martinsville. Um, I guess that was in 2017. And what I remember most about that, you know, when he stood up for himself and, and how the fans reacted. Right. Oh, my gosh, it was so loud um, that how much they loved Chase and that he was doing just that, standing up for himself. So sometimes there is a point where, you do have to cross that line and because otherwise you're going to continue to get bullied if, if you don't. Now, William Byron may need to work on uh, self-incriminating himself because after the race, he did get asked in his post-race interview, like, hey, did you wreck Danny Hamlin on purpose? Which he basically said yes. So there went all any plausible deniability that he had in a case against NASCAR. Um, you know, he kind of threw himself under the bus there. Now we see the fine, $50,000, 25 points, which is very significant because he went, he left Texas eight above the, or seven above the cut line. He's now going into Talladega this weekend, 18 below the cut line. Very, very significant. Um, and again, when you talk about every position mattering, if he's not transferring through after the Roval, we're going to point to this exact moment as the reason why. Yeah, there's no doubt that one moment could have uh, ended up wrecking his season. It's interesting, um, you know, when, when you made your comment about that he admitted, yeah, that I wrecked, you know, Denny. Um, you know, uh, I think sometimes uh, it's good for these drivers, like anything, you know, to, it could be politics or it could be another sport. Go back and listen to what some of your predecessors do, how they respond when they verbalize something um, or tweet something. You uh, there's a certain tact you have to follow. And yes. and, you know, admitting guilt is not one of the ones that typically is that, that's not the path you want to go down. And again, when you look at what happened on Sunday with NASCAR basically saying, hey, we didn't see it when it happened. We couldn't do anything to Byron in the race, blah, 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 blah. If NASCAR addresses this situation when it happened and either sends Byron to the back, maybe holds him a lap for aggressive driving or whatever, we don't have to get to this point of finding him you know, money and points and all this stuff. But the fact that they did nothing, if they didn't hand down a fine yesterday on Tuesday, then they would have been opening up a dangerous precedence in Pandora's box going forward because then you're telling all these competitors, hey, if I want somebody moved out of my way, I'm just going to spend them under yellow. They're not going to do anything about it. So NASCAR, I think, realized their mistake and quickly saved face by coming down hard on William Byron. Was it a, was it a, a situation that deserved that egregious 
of a penalty? Probably not. But again, you got to set a precedent so nobody does this going forward, especially in these final six races in the playoffs. Yeah, and I agree. And and I was a little surprised, not by the monetary part portion of it, but really the points and um, and the fact that you said it, it took him out being above the cut line and now he's below. That's that's huge. And and it's hard to put a dollar amount on that. I mean, he would have paid the, the fine, no problem. But sure. um, it'll be interesting. And, you know, when they get to Talladega, it's so easy to, um, you know, if there's something you get cut off and, you know, you're angry um, to retaliate. And sometimes, you know, when you're three wide, four wide, it's hard to really tell if somebody is actually retaliating. I mean, they're just stuffing it in there. And right. um, so, I mean, we'll see. And boy, that's, that's going to be crazy though this weekend. And, and we probably will, will see some tempers flare over there in Alabama on Sunday. Absolutely. Well, William Byron wasn't the only one that ended up with a penalty uh, coming away from Sunday. And this is something that really didn't get addressed during the broadcast, because I don't think really anybody paid attention to until after the fact when some videos started popping up on social media of this situation with um, Ty Gibbs on pit road. So just kind of set the table for people that may not know during one of the, the late cycles of pit stops, you know, Ty Dillon or Ty Gibbs is exiting pit road. He's going, you know, down towards pit exit. Ty Dillon exits his pit stall and, and hits Ty Gibbs car runs into the side of the 23 car pit roads tight contact happens. It is what it is. Ty Gibbs makes the decision to retaliate in that moment and cuts to the right or cuts to the left, swerves into Ty Dillon, and thankfully nobody got hurt. The 17 car was working on their car, had crew guys all around it, had a NASCAR official standing right there, and Ty Dillon's 42 car came within a couple of feet of seriously injuring some people on pit road. And again, it, it flew into the radar on the broadcast. Nobody really saw it. But it's one of those things that I'm glad got attention after the fact because similar to the William Byron thing, you don't want to set this precedent where uh, drivers think it's okay to start paying each other back on pit road when you have human bodies running around cars, you know, 40 pit stalls deep every single week. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm on board with you there. I mean, it's um, it's a different animal when when that happens on pit road and and and, you know, we we don't want to see, you know, even though these guys are wearing helmets and, and certain safety equipment, but right. God forbid that, you know, a car strikes one of them. And, you know, the thing about Ty Gibbs is interesting because, um, you know, after that penalty, his penalty was announced, I mean, there was an apology right. and, um, you know, we've seen that in the past where he does something, he kind of comes off the rails yes. and, and quickly does an apology. And, and I don't know if that's coming from, um, I mean, it's coming within the Gibbs organizations or sitting him down. And I don't know if it goes all the way to his grandfather, um, possibly. But uh, I think, you know, he's such a talented driver um, yes. that, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's just part of the learning process for him. And he's going to have to figure out that balance. But, but yeah, definitely at, at any, any form of, of racing, any level, um, it is off limits when, when you bring, um, I don't want to say spectators, but yes. the next thing up is is crew members that don't have any way of protecting themselves. And, you know, right. when you start doing the those type things on pit road, that is uh, that's off limits. And, and boy, the hammer should have been dropped down on Ty Gibbs as it was. And I, I agree with what you said. Ty Gibbs is a very, very talented race car driver. He impressed the heck out of me in that first Xfinity race where he won at the Daytona road course last year. And he's won however many, you know, Xfinity series races since then we, we clearly see he's going to be around in the sport for a long time, winning races, competing for championships, what have you. Unfortunately, he does kind of have those laps in judgment. You look at the Ryan Sieg situation in Las Vegas, the Sam Mayer situation in Martinsville, you know, several things in between there and then what we had at Texas on Sunday. And I thought Larry Mack made a really good point on Sirius XM Radio in the morning drive, I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday, where he said, I'm sick of people saying, it's he's 19, give him a break, give him a break. If you're in the Cup Series, you need to know better than to make these mistakes because this is the top level of motorsports. These cars are fast, they're dangerous, and we can't have somebody out there that's going to keep making these mistakes and thinking he's going to fix it by tweeting out an apology after the fact, like you have to know what you're doing before you get here. And while I am very confident he's going to get the 18 car next year, I think he might be better served doing another year in Xfinity when it's all said and done. That's probably not going to happen, but I think it will help for his maturity for sure. 
Yeah, I think uh, Larry Mack hit it. You right on the head. You, it's time for Ty Gibbs to put on his big boy pants and yes. and and you know, you, there's got to be the balance of um, you know common sense and and he can still show off that fabulous driving ability. And he's, I'm also interested um, to see how far he goes, uh, you know, as far as attracting sponsorship because not only is he an outstanding wheel man. But he's a polished uh, speaker, too. I mean, I've interviewed him after races. I, I sat in the media center when he did win that race in Atlanta mm. back in the spring. And I was pretty amazed at a kid at his age that, you know, was just so articulate uh, speaking to the media. He's, from that standpoint, he seems to be kind of wise beyond his years. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see what, go, what he's going to be like going forward. And, and this isn't a new thing. When you look at you know, guys like Kyle Bush that came in really, really young to the Cup Series and had a lot of situations and problems that eventually smoothed out over time. Um, but again, you can't you can't use that as an excuse and as in a crutch. Like, eyes young, he'll figure it out. You know, no, this is a situation that you should have never put yourself in to begin with. And uh, there's no there's no learning process here. You just got to know not to do it. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's where we see. Um like a Joe Gibbs that, um, you know, car owner, and in this case, um, grandfather, um, they're going to have to help nurture him. And, and thankfully we've, we've seen that over the years, Rick Kendrick and, and Richard Childress to a degree. Um, some of the others that, you know, they set these, these young drivers down and, and just explain it to them why certain things just can't be tolerated. So, um, Ty Gibbs will be fine. I mean, I think, you know, we get into next season if he is in a cup car, which I think he still will be, but I agree with you, it would probably be to his benefit to run another full season in Xfinity, but, but he's going to be fine. I mean, he's definitely going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about, um, winning, I think championships and cup down the road. Absolutely. So now we get to the topic of Texas motor speedway itself and Texas, ever since they made this, questionable renovation in 2017 by flattening out turns one and two to what the way I understood it they were trying to create almost like a California where you had guys running from the bottom to the top all spread out and then having to funnel down the back straightaway whoever came up with that idea should go into hiding because it clearly didn't work um and the track has suffered since then they put the pj1 down it's completely stained the second and third groups of the racetrack where it's turned into a one groove track which again kind of contributed to the problems that we had on sunday where you have two very different ends of the racetrack where one you're off the throttle a lot and slowing down the other one you're wide open through three and four which ended up leading to tire issues so we're hearing rumors that texas motor speedway is going to do something different going forward this probably is going to be the last NASCAR race on this configuration. The question now becomes, what do you do with Texas Motor Speedway? And the prevailing thought, and this is something that a lot of drivers are, or pretty much all drivers are against, and I would have to agree with them, is making Texas another version of what Atlanta's become, where it's kind of this mile and a half super speedway type of race. And I personally don't want to see that happen, but I'm afraid that's the direction SMI is going to go. Yeah, and I love the racing in Atlanta this year. I thought it was incredible, but I would agree with you, Tyler. I mean, it it's, it would be easy to convert it to Atlanta, and it's a copycat. But, yeah, they, they really fouled things up back in 2017. There's no doubt. Um, you can just look at the attendance. It's, you know, it's continued to decline. And they, you know, to, to be in such a big market in years past, I mean, I've covered races there where they would have, like, nearly 200,000 people because yes. they, they had grandstands on the backstretch and now they're gone. You know, they just have camping spots back there. So it, it, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, the race fans are smart enough to see a good product and a bad product. Um, mm -hmm. But there's no doubt that they, you know, they're going to have to make um, some a change to that racetrack, but I hope it's not a, just a duplicate of Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, you know, um, people love it. Um, the reconfigured, redesigned, reimagined Atlanta Motor Speedway. And let's let it just kind of stand on its own merit. We don't need to see other other speedways, you know, copying it and stealing some of Atlanta's thunder. But, you know, these guys are smart. They'll they'll figure something out. Um, um, you know, do they do they make it a smaller track or, or, you know, go from a mile and a half to a mile and a third or something? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that might be difficult because of the condos and all that are that are there. But but they'll come up with something. And um, I mean, guys, they, 
they, they've got such a market to draw from. I know when I was covering races there, I mean, just the, the state of Texas alone, but they draw a lot of people from Oklahoma, surrounding states. And right. um, yeah, it's uh, we need for the sport to be healthy. We need to see Texas Motor Speedway full on race weekends in Fort Worth. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't mind what they did in Atlanta, you know, making it this baby super speedway type thing. It's unique. It's its own thing. And I'm okay with that. You know, if, if we turn Texas into another super speedway where we're suddenly talking about seven or eight super speedway races a year, to me, that's, we're getting to that level of oversaturation, which unfortunately I think we've done with road courses. You know, we're running seven, eight road course races a year, as opposed to, you know, just two, a handful of years ago where, you know, the newness and the specialness is worn off. And I love super speedway racing. I can't wait to go for, you know, to watch Talladega this weekend. I love when we go to Daytona and now, you know, we add later to that mix, but if we're doing it once a month, we're doing it eight, nine, 10 times a year, then it loses its value and it loses that ability to be special so and especially when you look at what the next gen car has been able to do on standard mile and a half you know charlotte las vegas kansas it's putting on a great show at these racetracks if we can just turn uh, texas back into a normal mile and a half i guarantee you it's probably going to be really really good racing but again when you look at smi marcus smith who and it's still pains me that he said this we're in the entertainment business and that tells me they're going to lean fully towards the entertainment side of things and try and create another quasi super speedway with texas motor speedway yeah and and i mean it may happen but you know something i think about texas is for years uh going back to when they opened in the mid to late 90s when they opened that facility you know eddie gossage who was kind of like the humpy wheeler of the middle of america and texas Right. Um, just a fantastic promoter. And, and, you know, it, things just started falling off and, and Eddie's been gone for, I guess, a couple of years now. And, yes. but boy, in his heyday, he was like a humpy wheeler. And, and, and I'm not saying it's just all about the promoter, but, you know, it seems like, you know, certain promoters can, they have the knack for, um, you know, just entertaining the fans. And, and I hate to use that word when it comes to racing. Sure. And I know you mentioned Marcus Smith did, but, um, but hopefully they're going to find the right chemistry out there and, um, and, you know, just, just get it fixed. And uh, again, um, you know, it's so exciting when you can see these racetracks filled and, um, and there's so many people to pull from and, and Texas is a great racing state. I mean, just, you know, down the road in Austin with the circuit of Americas. And, and I know a lot of fans personally that live in, live in Houston and Austin and, and they love stock car racing. So, Let's get it fixed, SMI, and um, I'd love to go back out there and, and see a reconfigured, but not Atlanta reconfigured racetrack, but one that puts on a good show for the fans. Right, and that Dallas-Fort Worth market, that's one of the top markets in America. You absolutely need to have a NASCAR footprint there somehow, some way. So we're going to keep going to Texas. I just hope we go back to a better version of Texas than we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's bigger in Texas, and hopefully they're going to uh, – use some of that, uh, do whatever they have to do to make that place not necessarily bigger, but just better. So with everything that went on this past weekend with the tire issues, you know, the mechanical problems, Tyler Reddick winning, like, and really that's kind of been the, the, the theme throughout the playoffs, like the playoff standings themselves haven't really been the top story. And, you know, outside of last week at Bristol, where we eliminated four guys, but, you know, you look at what we have going into Talladega this weekend, the ultimate wild card, you've got some pretty interesting names that find themselves below the cut line. You know, Austin Sendrick, he's minus seven points. William Byron minus eight. Christopher Bell, who had the best round one out of anybody minus 25 and Alex Bowman minus 26. Like this playoff is so topsy turvy. I don't know what's going to happen week to week. And again, with a wild card, like a Talladega this weekend and another one, like the Roval in a couple of weeks, I think we're going to see some pretty big names like in the first round get eliminated and not make that round of eight. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that we're talking about racing, mm -hmm. you know, racing for wins. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the championship's important. That's what all the drivers want, you know, want to capture to walk away with that, that big check and trophy in Phoenix. Sure. But I think once again, there's, to me, there's no doubt this Sunday at Talladega, the, the racing for that victory is going to overshadow what's going on with the playoffs. Now I know that um, if you're listening on MRN or watching on NBC, they're going to talk a lot about, you know, where the drivers as they run, where they stand in the playoffs, are they above or below the cut line? But I think from a fan's perspective, 
there's going to be a lot of interest in like, can a Brad Keselowski, you know, that hasn't won in so long, you know, can he duplicate what his teammate did a couple of weeks ago and get uh, the Roush uh, team back in victory lane? I mean, there, there's just, you know, guys, 25, 30 guys potentially could win. To me, that's going to be the big storyline that's going to overshadow the playoffs. And I guess the other reason I look at it like that way is because this is not a cutoff race, but it is going to be a cutoff race at the Roval at Charlotte. But that's going to be crazy. But in its own way, Talladega is going to be crazy, not necessarily because of the playoffs. Yes, it will be indirectly. But the big thing is, you know, the, the crashes that they all have to avoid. Yep. But who's going to be there on that last lap to win? And, and we've seen so many wild finishes over there. And we obviously knew going into this round that Talladega and Robo were going to be two wild card races where, you know, the unpredictable happened. We all thought Texas was going to be very straightforward and weren't going to have much to talk about coming away from that. And it could very well end up being even wilder than those two in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, definitely been one of the most unique playoffs we've ever seen. But, hey, it's, it's keeping me glued to the television. And, and that's, uh, I get at the end of the day, what really matters, I guess. Yeah, without a doubt. And and Talladega is one of those, I think, you know, if you ask anybody that follows NASCAR, is there a race or a few races that, you know, it's just hard to walk, turn away from the TV at any point during the telecast. And it is Talladega, Daytona, maybe Atlanta now, and maybe some of the road courses, maybe, but definitely Talladega has always had that reputation. It's just so hard um, to, you know, not stay focused or tuned on what's happening over there lap after lap, because your guy may be running first and then on the next lap he's 35th and they're loading it up on the hauler uh, right. destroyed race car we've, we've seen it over and over and over and something that i'm really going to keep my eye on this weekend you know chase elliott had his tire problems while leading and crashed out at texas you know he's got the most wins this season he easily won the regular season championship if he has a bad race at talladega we're talking about chase elliott going into the roval in a must-win scenario now obviously chase elliott very good at road courses. No doubt he can go out there and win at the Roval. But man, you know, it's it's not unrealistic to think that Chase Elliott might not make the round of eight if he doesn't go out there and win one of these next two races. Well, and that's just going to add to the intrigue of this of this playoff with these two wild card races. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing is, is I'm sure that uh, as Chase and all the other teams in the playoffs are are plotting their strategy for this weekend. Um, and, you know, they can have the best of intentions and, and, you know, figure out their pit strategy and they check all the boxes. But we all know there's something that is totally out of their control. And that is somebody that blows the tire in a 30 car pack or somebody just has a miscue and it ruins their day and, and they're helpless. And, and we've seen it time after time. And that's something they can avoid, cannot avoid. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting with that is we've seen over the years, you know, some guys that will maybe teammates will drop back to like maybe running 30 second right. to try to get behind the storm or they're just going to make an all out effort to get to the front of the field. So, uh, gosh, just just I love Talladega racing. I mean, some people still to this day, you know, well, I don't like that type of pack racing, but there's just so many, again, plots and things that can go haywire, things that can go right. And it's just so unpredictable. So, and I think we're going to see a lot of that this weekend. And not only is it going to have an impact on who walks away with the trophy, but uh, how we're going to be situated with the playoff points going to that cutoff race in Charlotte. Absolutely. Uh, the Xfinity Series is also going to be in action as, long as, as well as the Truck Series this upcoming weekend. Quickly, we'll touch on the Xfinity Series. And they start their playoffs, and Noah Gregson continues with his trend of winning his fourth race in a row, tying the legendary Sam Mark for four consecutive wins in the Xfinity Series. But when you look at these four wins, this one by far is the most impressive. You know, he was running third going to the last turn at Darlington. The rain helped him out at Kansas. He stayed on the old tires last week at Bristol. But this one was a straight-up, definite win at texas and now he's locked himself into the round of eight he is firing on all cylinders and right now you'd be hard pressed for me to pick anybody else to win the championship besides that besides that nine team in xfinity yeah and you know um noah's on fire i mean he's you know they announced a few weeks ago he's going to be going to cup to run um for uh petty gms and and that's going to be interesting to, to see how that evolves um the fact that uh you know his teammate eric jones is running so well and they won the race at Darlington. So that has to give him a lot of confidence that he's going to a team that has a lot of speed, but not to get off subject totally. Yeah, I mean, Noah Gregson has been the man here the last few weeks. And and I love the fact that 
you know, he's a little edgy getting out of the car mm-hmm. and does he cross the lines? Like, well, yeah, but that's fine. I mean, you know, he stands out from the crowd. So, uh, so yeah, he, he's going to be, you know, again, he's going to have to face just like in cup. There's always that the, uh, the unpredictable nature of that Xfinity race over there. But if he survives, if he is there on the last, if he's running up in the top 10, the last three or four laps, yep. he's going to be one that's going to be hard to count out. Well, and that's the advantage of winning that first race in the round is you don't have to worry about getting eliminated the next two weeks. You can strictly go out there fighting for those stage wins and, and playoff points and ultimately the race win, which is just going to help you, you know, solidify yourself at Phoenix at the end of the year. Absolutely. He can, uh, they can kind of lay it out on the, all on the line and uh, yeah, just rack up as many stage points and, and heck. He's uh, he's locked in for the next round. He's out there, baby, to win that trophy and get out and celebrate with those fans and drink a beer in front of all of them on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So now we move on to our picks for this upcoming weekend at Talladega. The Truck Series returns after they uh, had a couple weeks off. Of course, Bristol Tom and Jeske locked himself into the round or to, into the final four race for the championship at Phoenix. The trucks head to Talladega this weekend and. You know, this whole season's been just kind of, uh, is it Zane Smith? Is it a KBM truck? Like, you f- you feel like you're kind of picking from a very small area here. When you look at the truck series, which obviously you spend a lot of time in when you're time with Athenian Motorsports, who do you see coming away with the win this weekend at Talladega? You know, it's just so hard hard to to know for sure um, because I've seen it where the, the, the top teams – you know, they get their share of wins, but, you know, to a degree, we've seen some of the ones you, that you don't expect that that run up front at the end. But I'm, you know, um, asking for my pick. I, I'm going to go with John Hunter Nemechek. I, I think um, I think he's due. And um, I, I just think uh, and again, it's uh, just a crapshoot um, like everything is at that racetrack. But I'll go with uh, John Hunter. That's actually the pick that Dalton has as well. I'm going to stay in the KBM camp. Toyota, super powerful. They're going to be running up front. As long as they don't get wrecked, I think it's going to be a KVM truck that goes to victory lane. But I'm going to go with Chandler Smith, who has had a great season so far. I think he locks himself into the Final Four with the win this weekend at Talladega. That's a great pick. And uh, Chandler is an outstanding driver. And I think he's one of our Georgia guys over here. So uh, He is. uh, Yeah, you can't go wrong. Uh, I would not be surprised to see Chandler uh, hoisting that trophy uh, early Saturday afternoon at Talladega. Later on in the afternoon at Talladega, I love the fact we have a doubleheader there. I'm going to miss the Xfinity Series playoff race there next year. I think it's a great addition to their playoffs. We have the Xfinity Series. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Dalton is picking Sam Mayer, who he's picked several times to win. And kind of similar to the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, this entire season, it's like, what are you going to pick Ty Gibbs? Are you going to pick one of the JRM drivers? Because those, you know, those five guys basically have dominated this entire season. Um, so when you look at Talladega this weekend, again, another wild card, which way are you leaning? Well, I'm going to kind of stay in that mix and I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction and go with Justin Algar. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think he's going to rise to the occasion. Uh, I love me some Justin Algar and, uh, and we'll see. So, uh, that's that's who I'm gonna go with to win that race that I believe starts at four o'clock Eastern on uh, Saturday. That is correct. Uh, I'm gonna go with somebody that really needs a win. He finds himself below the playoff cut line right now. And if there's any team that can work together and get a victory at a super speedway, it is Colleague Racing. And Daniel Hemrick, last year's defending series champion, finds himself eight points below the cut line right now. I think, and you know, obviously Edge Elmendinger's in there to win his own championship. Landon Castle's out of the playoffs. Like, I think we see a collaborative effort of colleague racing up front. And I think Daniel Hemrick gets his second career win this weekend. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Uh, I'm friends with Daniel and and I know uh, the president of colleague racing, Chris Rice, I actually worked with him for several years. He was with us at Athenian and uh, man, he, what the, a job he has done to really get that program going at, at colleague. So that's a great pick. And, uh, and Daniel, we've seen him, you know, won the championship and, uh, that would uh, not surprise me whatsoever if he is the guy in victory lane over there Saturday afternoon. Finally, the Cup Series, the Yellowwood 500 coming up on Sunday. We'd be halfway through the playoffs with this being the fifth of 10 races for drivers of one that weren't uh, competing for the championship. This probably gives you the best opportunity to have a fifth one. I'll go ahead and say that Dalton is picking Austin Sendrick to get his second one of the season. Which way are you thinking for this weekend? 
Well, I'm going to stay in the Ford camp, but uh, I'm going to go with the guy that that I would love to see win. He's from Michigan, and he has shown a lot of speed the last couple of weeks, and that is uh, Brad K. Brad Keselowski. And so I'll, I'll go with him to win. And I do want to add, um, Tyler, I did notice in the press notes mm-hmm. that uh, Dave Marcus uh, is going to be in the media center talking, not sure about what, but he'll be there before the race on Sunday. And uh, hopefully he'll be wearing that famous uh, Goodyear hat, kind of tipped over maybe to one side, and then his famous wing tip boots. And, uh, boy, he's he was uh, quite the racer of his own for so many years. And uh, but yeah, I'll go with the the Wally veteran driver Brad Keselowski to uh, get that six car in victory lane on Sunday. I 100% agree with you. I think Brad Keselowski is the modern day Dale Earnhardt in terms of super speedway racing. He's won multiple times at Talladega. He's won at Daytona as well. Got a victory this year at the Daytona Duel. Obviously, you know this is maybe his last chance to win a race this year. Obviously, wants to end on a high note for his first year being a part owner at. Roush Fenway Keselowski racing, I think, uh, Sundays when he gets it done as well. Oh, outstanding. So uh, so we'll see. I think that would be a popular win. As you mentioned, he, he's won over there. He's, he's had some success on the on the two big tracks, Daytona Talladega. So I think that would be a very popular win if, um, you know, he's at the point in his career I think people would appreciate. They would salute him if, if he could pull that number six car um, into victory lane on Sunday. Absolutely. So that uh, that's all we have for – this edition of the Upspeed Podcast, again, Dalton handling all hurricane things. Uh, so I assume he'll be back next weekend. If not, I may call on you again to uh, help us out. But I really appreciate you helping us out this week. And, uh, you know, given your insight, I, I love hearing your perspective on the sport because uh, obviously you spent so much time in it. Yeah. And uh, likewise, Tyler, thank you so much for the invitation. Our thoughts and prayers are out for uh, Dalton to be safe down there as he covers uh, this hurricane, um, Ian or I am, however you pronounce it. But I will say this, thoughts and prayers to all the people that are impacted because this thing's going to linger for uh, several days ahead. But uh, I think we'll be okay weather-wise on um, Saturday and Sunday over at Talladega. And I can't wait for that NASCAR doubleheader on Saturday. And, boy, what a heck of a show. The trucks and the Xfinity Series and then the uh, the big boys, the Cup guys on Sunday. Absolutely. It's going to be great. Can't wait to uh, see it all this weekend.